I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myberg Guzman. And this is Santa Cruz Local. The city of Santa Cruz has long struggled with how to respond to homelessness. The city has mainly been focused on the short term, things like how to respond to illegal camps that pop up, and how should police and fire departments respond. Like many cities across California, Santa Cruz's long-term solutions to homelessness have remained elusive. One of the biggest barriers has been community buy-in. Policy around homelessness has been polarizing. For example, every time a managed camp or a safe parking place is proposed, neighbors rise up against it and quash the proposal. A new city community advisory committee is tasked with the most contentious city policy decisions. They're supposed to provide some recommendations to the city council over the next few months. They're taking on questions like, where will the managed homeless camp on River Street go when it's set to close in the spring? Where should the city put new public bathrooms, showers, and storage? And then the biggest challenge, where to put potential new managed campgrounds. Okay, Stephen, we went to Tuesday night's Community Advisory Committee meeting at the Loudon Nelson Community Center. What was your takeaway? Well, a committee formed in June. It's made up of 12 people. It includes people like former Mayor Don Lane, homeless advocates, people who are homeless, and other community members. Right now, the committee's focused on short-term solutions, and specifically three things. One, public health. Two, transitional campgrounds. And three, public outreach. Those are the three subcommittees they formed. For context, the city spends about $17 million on homeless-related issues annually. About $15 million of that is for police services. Don't think that solving the homeless crisis would save that money, though. City staffers said that money would be spent on police services anyway, just responding to different calls. That $17 million is about one-sixth of the city's general fund. There are a significant amount of city funds that are going towards homelessness response. Some of that is very reactive. Very little of it is proactive. Very little, little of it is preventative. That's Susie O'Hara. She's the assistant to the city manager. She's also the staff member in charge of the committee. This committee should be figuring out how to make that shift, right? And then on the flip side of that, there are revenue sources and new revenue sources that are being contemplated. There has been no time that the state has wagged millions of dollars around homelessness in front of cities and counties. I mean, this is new money that we have not experienced in, you know, several decades or at all. What she's talking about is more than $1 billion in state money available this year for cities and counties to deal with homelessness. Santa Cruz needs to have solid plans to tap into that money. Right. So while this committee is working on the city's response to homelessness, the county is doing similar work. The county recently hired Focus Strategies. They're a homelessness consulting group based near Los Angeles. They've been studying the county's homelessness response system and trying to figure out how it can improve. In August, they released their initial baseline report. And by April, they're supposed to come up with a coordinated, systematic plan for how the county responds to homelessness. So Stephen, let's talk about that initial report from August. What did Focus Strategies find? For me, the report was illuminating because it talked about the successes and shortcomings in our homeless policy over the last few years. Let's start with the numbers. Many of you are aware there's a one-day homeless count in the county, and it's conducted every two years. 
In the last four years, our homeless population has increased by about 10%. We now have about 2,100 homeless people in the county. Our homeless problem is growing in the county, but in nearby counties, it's growing faster. San Francisco, it went up 17% in that same time. Santa Clara County went up 31%. The community is doing some things well, like providing beds and winter shelters. Also, programs like 180-2020 have permanently housed several hundred people who were chronically homeless. Many of them are veterans and there's federal funding available to them. But the housing programs haven't worked quickly enough to meet the need. Another thing the county's doing well is the county's spending more money on giving subsidies to help people pay their rent and stay in their homes. That's a form of preventing homelessness, and that's one of the most effective solutions for homelessness, according to this homelessness consulting group. What hasn't been shown to work is transitional housing. That's temporary housing with on-site support. People can stay there for up to two years while they find permanent housing. But the studies have shown that that hasn't worked across the state. One good thing is the county has actually spent less money on transitional housing in recent years. But the report's biggest takeaway is that the county and its four cities lack a coordinated approach to homelessness. Rainy Marr, the county's Homeless Services Coordinator, agrees. We don't yet have system-wide alignment around priorities and goals, nor do we have a government model, or a governance model rather, that has the capacity for making coordinated and aligned policy decisions. So we really need to develop coordination of efforts toward a shared strategic direction. The report shows that this lack of coordination between counties and their cities is not unusual. It happens across the state. Counties have the health services agencies and the treatment programs, but it's the cities that deal with the day-to-day -day response of homelessness. How do police respond to homelessness? That's uneven across cities. And the decisions around development, where and how to build affordable housing. The second big takeaway is that the system isn't geared toward people getting out of homelessness. The goal of permanent housing needs to be worked at systematically, according to the report. For example, a managed homeless camp needs to connect people with a path toward permanent housing. What that looks like could be housing-focused case management. The camps also need to connect people with drug treatment, employment, and other forms of income. Welcome, everyone. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, OK, so let's get back to the Homelessness Committee meeting from Tuesday night. And let's talk about the work of their three subcommittees. One of the subcommittees is working on transitional campgrounds. If we don't set something for how people sleep, they'll set something. That's Serge Cagno. He serves on that subcommittee. Oh, they will. If it's not raining, I can sleep in doorways and stuff. I don't really care. It starts raining, and I want something where I can be in it, and people are more likely to set tents. OK, so you may remember in the last two years, there's been a series of homeless camps cropping up along the San Lorenzo River. It started in earnest about two years ago with the Benchlands camp. That moved to the River Street camp, which was a managed camp at 1220 River Street near the tannery. After that camp closed, the Ross camp sprung up at Highway 1 and River Street. You may remember our reporting. There were dozens of homeless people there. 
There was a lot of drug use, a lot of litter. There was a rat problem. The city eventually decided it was untenable, and so they reopened 1220 River Street Camp as one of its solutions. The River Street Camp is closing March 15, and the work of this subcommittee is trying to decide where it goes next. This subcommittee is also exploring to see if there could be other managed camps. It's working on developing land use criteria for those transitional camps, and also safe parking and safe sleeping zones and a navigation center. The subcommittee hasn't exactly defined what the purpose of these transitional camps are first. The county report that we talked about earlier said that's very important going forward. And when I say purpose, I mean the subcommittee needs to define what people in the camp should get out of it. In other words, are they trying to get them toward permanent housing or treatment or something else? A second subcommittee is working on public outreach. As we said, the committee as a whole is working on very contentious policy recommendations. Things like where to site a camp, where to put public bathrooms. To do that, they're going to need community buy-in. So over the next few months, expect to see events like roundtable discussions, community listening events, where the committee is seeking your input. That's one part of their job. The other part of their job is reaching out to the homeless community. They want to see what are the hurdles. They want to make sure that they're solving the right problems. Right. Part of the problem is that some of the people who are homeless have decided they don't want to use the city's shelters. Susie O'Hara, the assistant to the city manager, has said in talking to homeless people, some of them are wary and just don't want to go. So there, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's also just a lot of deep ingrained discomfort and fear. Um, those, I mean, a couple weeks of those one-on-one -on -one conversations would give you a very good understanding of those that are currently outdoors, that are in the Poganip, in Sycamore Grove, Arana, Moore Creek. I mean, we are all over the place, and we hear very similar feedback from folks that are not interested in going to our shelter programs. The third subcommittee is working on public health and storage. They're supposed to identify places in the city to put new public bathrooms, to put showers, to put storage, and also where to put needle disposal boxes. For this homelessness committee, community buy-in will be key. For example, recently, a program would have allowed overnight RV parking in the Calvary Church parking lot on Center Street in downtown Santa Cruz. The program was meant for homeless families. But within a week, several hundred neighbors wrote in to oppose it. The idea was killed, according to city staff. Here's Linda Weaver. She's one of four residents who spoke at Tuesday's meeting. The larger community buy-in, um, yeah, this is really, this is the big, big elephant in the room. And I can appreciate, I understand what happened at Calvary. And so 500 people wrote and they said, how dare you um, try to do this? Well, somebody has to provide the leadership, the moral leadership that this is an emergency, that this has been going on for a long time and that this is solvable. Here's what else you need to know. If you remember from a previous episode, 
the city of Santa Cruz received a notice that it's in violation of the Voting Rights Act. The notice alleges that the city council didn't have enough Latino representation. The city faces a lawsuit if it doesn't switch to district elections. This is happening all over the state. This week, city attorney Tony Condotti said that the plaintiff in the lawsuit, Travis Roderick, is not actually registered to vote in Santa Cruz. Therefore, legally, Roderick is not eligible to bring a case against the city. So the city is choosing to ignore the threat of lawsuit for the time being. Here's what Condotti said. Although we have been in communication with his attorney who has indicated that uh, he's in the process of clarifying Mr. Roderick's voter registration status, uh, meaning that he may become a registered voter in the city of Santa Cruz, in which case he would have standing. And so it may just delay the inevitable, but he would have to bring or would have to deliver a new notice of intent and we would respond within 45 days thereafter. You may remember that Roderick was the same plaintiff who brought the suit against Santa Cruz City Schools. Santa Cruz City Schools is going toward district elections. Lastly, many of you wrote to us this week in response to our last episode on the tabling of the censure vote. You asked us why council members Chris Crone and Drew Glover were able to vote on the tabling of their own censure. Isn't that a clear conflict of interest? We asked city attorney Tony Kandati your question on Tuesday morning. He said, conflict of interest has a strict definition. It's only when money is involved. The council member is generally required to recuse themselves when um, they have a financial interest in the outcome of a decision. A motion to censure is essentially an expression of the council's collective disapproval of some conduct in it, and it certainly did not involve a financial interest that would have required a recusal under our, our standard conflict of interest regulations. You may remember back in 2016, council member Micah Posner also was able to vote on his own censure. He had an unpermitted backyard rental unit, and the city was making policy on those rental units. The city attorney's office decided that Posner did not have a financial conflict of interest. That's because censures essentially don't do anything besides a formal reprimand. So he could have still had that unpermitted backyard rental unit. He still could have served on the city council. Thank you to all our members. You're supporting fair and accurate local journalism in Santa Cruz County. Thank you especially to our Guardian level members, Elizabeth and David Doolin, Chris Nicholson, Patrick Riley, and the Kelly family. If you'd like to become a member, visit santacruzlocal.org membership. Here's what you can also do to support us. Sign up for our free email newsletter. Sign up at santacruzlocal.org and help us spread the word. Tell your friends about Santa Cruz Local. I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Meiber-Guzman. Thanks for listening to Santa Cruz Local.